I was there at the dawn of the third age of mankind. It began in the earth year 2257 with the founding of the last of the Babylon stations located deep in neutral space. It was a port of call for refugees, smugglers, businessmen, diplomats, and travelers from a hundred worlds. It could be a dangerous place, but we accepted the risk because Babylon 5 was our last best hope for peace. Under the leadership of its final commander, Babylon 5 was a dream given form. A dream of a galaxy without war, when species from different worlds could live side by side in mutual respect. A dream that was endangered as never before by the arrival of one man on a mission of destruction. Earth Alliance passenger cleared for entry. Babylon 5 was the last of the Babylon stations. This is its story. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the Grey Castle. there in podcast land this is scott with the front row network uh part of npr illinois community voices and welcome to a brand new podcast we're going to be looking at the seminal serialized tv show that is nearly 30 years old babylon 5 so we want to welcome you all to the gray 17 podcast my hope is that this is going to be a little different than most TV review shows that you have listened to and that I have listened to. Because Babylon 5 is an interesting case. We're very much used to any more serialized television. For the past 15, 20 years, we've had shows. And, the, and of course, British people are going to be like, we've always had serialized TV. But for America, we've had serialized TV for about 15 or 20 years. But Babylon 5 was definitely one of the first. And in order to give this uh, show the due that I think it deserves, we're going to have two groups of people on this show. We're going to have the quote unquote newbies. These are people who have never watched this show before. And in fact, I, I was talking to one of them today and they didn't even know what show they're going to be reviewing until they actually started watching it. They were surprised at the show they were watching. So that's good. And then we're just going to have some folks who are more seasoned in terms of Babylon 5. And what we're going to do is we're going to break this show into two parts. So for those of you who are no idea what we're talking about and you want to just kind of get into the show for the first time, well, the first part of this show is going to be us just reviewing the one episode spoiler free. 
And then we're going to kick out the newbies and go into spoiler territory where we'll talk about the entire show and how everything is interconnected. Because truly, this show is novelized television. So you are looking at chapter one of book one today, and we're going to go all the way through book five when it's all said and done. So I wanted to first off introduce our folks on this team that's going to be joining us throughout this long process that is a review of an entire TV show. On each of these, I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm just going to ask them up front so you already know. And that is, who are you and what do you want? So first off, Justin, who are you and what do you want? Uh, Well, hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Justin. I am a longtime sci-fi nerd, uh, sci-fi aficionado. Um, have never, despite the attempts of numerous people um, in my life, I've never watched Babylon 5 before. Um, So what I'm hoping to gain from this is just a greater appreciation uh, for the show and for the genre as a whole. Great. Now, Justin was one of our newbies, so we're going to go now to one of our seasoned individuals with Blake. Hey everyone, my name is Blake. I am one of the ones that has been trying to get Justin to watch this show for many years now. So glad he's finally into it. And what I want is to have people look at this show with a new perspective and really see the influence that it's had on the genre of sci-fi itself, as well as broader with what we're seeing in television trends now. Awesome. And one of our newbies as well, Jesse. Hi, I'm Jesse. Um, I'm super, super happy to be here. I am a noob. I'm excited about this. What I want um, is to really dig deep into the show after seeing the first one. I'm really kind of excited to see where they take it and where they go. And I'm happy to be part of a group that is going to do it with me. Great. One of our other newbies is Emily. Go for it. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, what do I want? I'm not really sure what I want from this, actually, other than forcing myself out of my comfort zone and watching something other than, you know, Star Trek DS9. (laughs) Which is an interesting conversation that I don't think we're going to have tonight, but we will definitely have about DS9 and Babylon 5 because it's a whole thing. (laughs) I I picked up, uh, like, I was actually sitting on IMDb and I realized how close both of those shows debuted and how similar they are. So I yes, think, uh, I look forward to that conversation at a later time. I, I, I'm anticipating probably having that on the next show, which is uh, the first proper episode of this TV show. But yeah, I think this is a conversation to be had. That being said, a lot of us on here are Star Trek fans. And actually, depending on the day, uh, my two favorite SF shows are Babylon 5 and DS9. So we're going to talk about it, but we're not going to get nasty about it. Well, at least I'm not. <laughs> okay, next we have um, our other uh, seasoned individual, and that is Mike. Hey, I'm Mike. You may remember me from such podcasts, the Star Trek Discovery something something. I forgot what we called it. Uh, I'm hoping to get out of this uh, an excuse to possibly meet Bill Moomy. <laughs> And uh, awesome. also kind of an excuse to just rewatch Babylon 5, which I have seen before, uh, more or less in its entirety. And I remember having good vibes about. So awesome. And then another newbie to the uh, show is Nicole. Hi, everybody. I'm Nicole. And what I want is to dive into a genre that I don't typically get to watch. Uh, I really don't know anything about sci-fi. I don't know anything about Babylon 5. I've only 
seen the Star Trek movies. I know, don't hate me. Um, so this is all really, really new to me. Uh, and I'm really excited to dive in. I'm already invested in all these characters. So I'm excited to kind of see where this goes and explore this with you guys and just take this adventure. I'm ready. I, uh, the, the, the three season folks, Mike, Blake, and I are like, kind of smiling and somewhat cringing when you say you're invested in all the characters and we're going to not say a word guys until we get to spoiler section. Okay. Not a word. <laughs> we have to be very good with the newbies. Okay. And then finally wrapping up the newbie crew is Andrew. Andrew, go for it. Everyone. Uh, I'm Andrew. Uh, uh, like you said, I'm one of the newbies. Uh, as far as I, what I want to get out of it. Um, uh, well, uh, Babylon five is I, I've heard about it. Uh, Many times throughout my life, I'm a, a big fan of Star Trek and already just from watching this first episode, I already can tell I'm going to like this show. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. Awesome. Andrew is our Gen Zer of the group. We figured we had to get the, uh, you know, <laughs> we're about average age of 39 to 40 here. And I was like, oh, we got to bring it down a little bit. It's so cute to have the babies. It's so cute to have the babies. A lot of uh, millennial energy. Here. <laughs> That's still Gen Z, sir. That's still Gen Z. I'm Scott. Just for those uh, on Front Network folks, uh, I was the um, creator of Flashbacks and then left that show and now it is being run by other people who are even better uh, than I ever was. So it's great. I started the um, Zona Sodes Twilight Zone podcast, which went on to a four-year hiatus because I was a lazy person, but it's going back by the way. So that's uh, relaunching as well too. And uh, as Mike said, we've done some Star Trek podcasting as well, but the reason why I'm here is twofold. One, I want to introduce this show, which again is one of my favorite shows uh, to new people, uh, not only the people on this podcast, but hopefully people listening at home and i started watching this uh back in its original run but for the most part every time i've rewatched babylon 5 has been a binge watch like i'll watch the entire show in a few weeks so i'm actually looking forward to experiencing it like it's supposed to be experienced episodic week to week and taking the time and just instead of blowing through to the next episode having a conversation about every episode whether they're a good episode or sometimes not a good episode like most uh tv is so um i'm looking forward to that conversation as well too so that's why i'm here so let's get into it the first episode is actually the pilot which uh aired a year before the tv show began and that it aired in 1993 but the story of babylon 5 goes a lot uh farther back than that so the main person that we're going to be talking about a lot in this conversation is j michael straczynski jms as he's known to most folks uh jms started out as a journalist, uh, did uh, some short form writing, wrote plays and so forth and so on, but really got his start in TV with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He was a show writer for that. And then he actually helped to develop She-Ra, Princess of Power, but he left uh, before that show actually hit the air. So the Bible was created by him and a lot of the characters of She-Ra were created by him, but he wasn't really a part of the show uh, throughout. And then he did a couple other things, but then he's mainly known in the animated world for being the quote unquote showrunner for the real Ghostbusters. So for the first and probably the best uh, first uh, season of Real Ghostbusters, he was the showrunner for it. And then he also came at the tail end to try to write the ship uh, a little bit after that, too. But throughout all of this process, he has he wanted to break into live 
television. He, animation was something where he just needed a gig, but uh, he broke into live television first with another show from the eighties that is near and dear to my heart, but mostly nobody else. And that's captain power and the soldiers of the future. Yes. And the only reason why I bring up captain power and that's some people, the old people are nodding like, yes, I remember captain power. Uh, but the reason why I bring up captain power is because that's when he started working on Babylon five. When he was working on Captain Power, he had an idea for two shows. One show was a space station based character drama that would deal with uh, individual character stories uh, and an arc of character development, but really station based, kind of a cheap show. The other one he had was based on Isaac Asimov's foundation. The idea of rise and falls of empires and the amazing uh, changes in cultures over time rather than just individual people. And then he soon realized that it's the same show. And so I have a quote here from him from 1995 talking about what kind of uh, brought this into uh, being. So this is from JMS. Well, once I had figured out the locale, I began to populate in with characters, the sketch out directions that might be interesting. I dragged out my notes on religion, philosophy, history, sociology, psychology, science, the ones that didn't make my head explode, and started stitching together a crazy quilt pattern. I eventually formed a picture. Once I had that picture in my head, once I knew what the major theme was, the rest fell into place. All at once, I was—I saw a full five-year story in a flash, and I frantically began scribbling down notes. And this is the big thing about B5 that we're going to talk about here. And this is why we're doing this broken up of two sections of the show, because this is a novel. He wrote down the entire plan for five years. Now, I'm, I'm going to be the first to say he doesn't follow the plan all the way through. Things change. TV world changes. But for the most part, he had a plan going through all this. So starting in the 80s, he started pitching the show to every single network that was available, including Paramount, CBS, which is where we get the DS9 conversation probably next week. Uh, but he was out of... Uh, out of time with all the networks. No one wanted to pick up the show. No one felt it could be done on the budget that he was looking for. And then, of course, the big elephant in the room was Star Trek The Next Generation. Everyone thought that there was one sci-fi show, and we can't compete with that one sci-fi show, so we're not going to do any other sci-fi shows. Finally, in the early 90s, Warner Brothers decided to make their own primetime network, which you were going to call the PTEN, Primetime Entertainment Network. And they were working to actually work with, and for the kids at home who don't know what this is, there used to be uh, um, individually locally owned TV stations that would buy their shows and air them at different times of the day. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore, <laughs> but it used to. And so the PTEN network was going to gobble up a whole bunch of these stations together and say, hey, we're going to create our own shows and produce them. And then you're going to air them on this network. Uh, and one of the shows that was pitched during all this, again, was Babylon 5. So what was happened here, and this is where we get to the pilot, is Warner Brothers came to them and said, we like the idea. We want this to be our flagship show of this new network. But we do not feel that you can make this thing on time and on budget. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you three and a half million dollars, which sounds like a lot. But keep in mind, at the very same time, D-Space 9 was starting its pilot and it was going to get $12.5 million for Emissary, its pilot uh, two-hour episode. So $3.5 million for Babylon 5, $12.5 for DS9. So they went to him uh, and said, if you can get this show on time and on budget, we will give you a green light for the series. 
Now, more came of that, and we'll talk more about that the next episode when we can find out why it took a year to get the show on uh, TV. But that's where we're at. So JMS and his producing team of Douglas Nutter and John Copeland took the reins of the show and put together this shoestring budget of a two-hour movie. That's where we're at. So I'll go into more details about the show and the backs, uh, backstage stuff as we go, but I want to hear from all of you first. So let's go ahead and hear from the newbies first and say... What's your first reaction, positive or negative, of The Gathering? So let's go with Jesse first. Um, I actually thought it was positive. I know I joke about, um, I've joked about how long the show was, but um, I was really invested, like, from just a few minutes in. Um, You can tell that it's got, it applies to the real world. Um, Very clearly, there's some undertones in it from things that were still dealing with 30 years later. Um, and probably honestly always will. Um, I loved it. I, you know, I, I joke about it, but I, the graphics are, (laughs) the graphics are fun to watch. And, um, but it's, it's, you know, it, it was a good time. And that's actually a good point uh, thing to point out, too, that I haven't mentioned yet. You mentioned the graphics. A couple of things to keep in mind with this pilot. One, again, shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. But also, this was the first show, and this is something that B5 is now known for, is it went CGI. Yep. Uh, most TV shows, especially sci-fi shows, used models at this time. TNG was using models. Deep Space Nine would be using models. Voyager would use models for the most part. So this was the first show to use CGI. And you can tell, mm-hmm. but back in the 90s, CGI was was breakthrough stuff. And this stuff was actually not seen before on TV. Right. And two, it was a lot cheaper and faster to make, which again, on budget and on time. So that's right. why they went with it. So that's the other thing too, on the, um, the graphics on this is <clears throat> you're going to notice a difference when you go into episode uh, one, proper episode one, because they were able to put some more money into the, into the staging. Uh, they changed the lighting up a lot. So you're going to see that too. That's good. Uh, let's go to, uh, oh, go ahead, Blake. And one thing, just jump into on the graphics, even keeping in mind with the CGI, and we'll get into this more as other things come into play with the series. But even at this point, um, NASA at one point actually talked with some of the designers on the show with the spacecraft they were using and the way they were having them react in space and different things to look at the designs and how they were functioning. So yeah. It really was, even with how it hasn't necessarily held up look-wise, the way they did it was really groundbreaking for the time with the budget they had. Sure. And the one, oh, go ahead, Jesse. No, my husband just would, the whole show just yelled, look at that CGI <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> and I, and uh, I, you know, for that time, it was, like you said, it was cool. To Blake's point too, and the one uh, uh, spacecraft, we actually haven't seen it yet. We'll see it here starting up in uh, episode one. Because again, this is episode zero, the pilot. Uh, that's a Star Fury, and when you see it, you'll see exactly what Blake's talking about. With uh, they actually use physics, believe it or not, it's pretty interesting. Right, cool. uh, Emily, what's your thoughts on this? I want to hear your thoughts because you texted me last night going, "What WTF?" So tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so it, I was about five minutes in, and all I could think is, "What have I gotten myself into? What am I watching?" And I actually rewatched it again tonight, and I. I do like the storyline so far. Um, I mean, obviously it was made in the nineties, limited budget. So you're going to have some of those issues, but I feel like the storyline really is there. So I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, it, it might be good. 
<laughs> You're not questioning <laughs> life choices I just yet. Question our friendship after this. <laughs> it would not be the first time. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what's up? What do you got? Um, also positive. Uh, uh, like I said, it, uh, it, it very much reminded me a lot of uh, Star Trek and like, um, I haven't seen the show, but it uh, uh, the show Firefly, where it's basically like a like a society, but in space. So you haven't like seen I said, Firefly? haven't seen Firefly. <laughs> Holy God, yeah, man! It's only thirteen episodes. <laughs> Just know. do it. <laughs> I know. There's so many other things on my list though that are more interesting to me. None of them are better. <laughs> Yes, seriously. <laughs> None of them. <laughs> just wa- just give yourself a day and watch Firefly. You'll thank us for it later. <laughs> Justin's right. going to string you up. <laughs> freaking out. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> I'm freaking out that the fact he has not seen Firefly because that is one of the best shows ever. But anyway, I apologize. Continue. I don't even know what that is. I've never even heard of it. Holy God. <laughs> We're gonna I've, do never another podcast. I've never seen it either. Okay, I've yes. I've never seen it. Where did another we podcast? Brown Coats podcast. Firefly. It's gonna be great. I didn't like it. <laughs> Hold me back, Scott. Just doubling down. That's right. Emily's gonna be the fun one of the group. <laughs> usually, I'm the negative one on my podcast, and I can't be the negative one because I love the show. So Emily's gonna have to be the negative one. And it's gonna be great. <laughs> All right, I got it covered. <laughs> sorry, Andrew. We have completely derailed your conversation. Go yes, for sorry. it. <laughs> Oh, I didn't really have anything else to add. <laughs> that was about it. Excellent. Okay, uh, we have two more newbies left, so we'll go to Nicole. So I also really liked it. Um, I really got invested in the storyline like right away. I really like the characters. I like the story. I like the whole you know way it's set up. I mean, yeah, there was some cheesiness, a lot of cheesy sexual innuendo. I noticed uh, a lot. Before they go on a first date. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, the cheese factor was there, but it was the 90s. And I took that into account. And also, yes, the CGI was a bit rough, but for that time frame, it was groundbreaking. So I also took that into account. And I just kind of really focused on the story and the storyline and the characters. And I already have my favorites. So when we go more in depth, I've got a whole list of different things I liked and that I picked out and some themes I picked up and but I really really enjoyed it so first time ever watching a show like this so I and that's that's great uh I love the fact that not only we have people who are new to b5 but we have people who are new to sci-fi television because I think that's going to be a great you know litmus test for us and uh because people like Blake and Mike and I um and Justin too we're sci-fi geeks so we know the genre we know what we're looking at and we are going to look at it through that lens but I love hearing this from a lens of people who are brand new to this I'm looking forward to it uh Justin go ahead okay so I um I completely knowing this is a pilot I completely took the CGI element out of it like i was watching it just strictly for a socio economic political military aspect for it um so that leaves me with with a lot of questions naturally um so going into like when you have the the minbori and the human war what transpired with that what exactly is the earth alliance because you you make a mention of the un being dissolved so like what takes the place of that what is the creation of the earth alliance do we ever kind of is it 
Is it a fascist state? Is it a more democratic state? I don't know. Hash, yeah, uh, shrugging my shoulders. I don't know what that is. Like so Mike that's Mace, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't say anything. Uh, but like that's kind of what I was I was watching each of the different ambassadors, mm-hmm. like the you know like like Jakar, the orange um what was it the the orange gem Hadar I guess I would consider him to be <laughs> yeah I can see that um and the you know Londo the 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 Napoleon with the bozo the clown haircut <laughs> so like. So like watching all of these, like I spend more time watching the different ambassadors and how they kind of interact within the episode and kind of figuring when you go with, you know, how how they interact with each other and then also intimidate each other. And then the the Vorlon ship and the Vorlon trying to, to, to kind of figure out who they are and then how that ship looks so much like species 8472 but that's for another day <laughs> and that's, that's for another case, day voyager ripped off bfi because voyager came out a lot and, that, and that might be because like i yeah. saw that for I, I saw the warline ship and i'm like oh my god that's 8472 but then again <laughs> that's for another day and you know, um, sorry, real quick, Justin, you mentioned questions. So one thing, and this just popped in my head because I'm building the show as we go. Uh, I think what we're going to do on this is before you all leave the newbies, we are going to have you all raise any questions that you have from the episode at hand. And then just to annoy and frustrate you completely, we will answer those questions for you, but you will not be able to hear the answers. So keep that in mind for all everybody. If you have questions That's like nice. Justin just listed out, uh, we will happily answer for the, you, the, um, but then you won't be able to hear the answers until about two years from now. It's going to be great. Uh, but then how the Valor, uh ambassador was poisoned by nicotine patch. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and with that, I'm done. Nicole, I see you raised your hand. Yeah, like you're I'm, in class. Yes, Go ahead. I'm raising my hand like a child. Um, so it's funny that you mentioned that, Justin, because one of the things I noticed about the ambassadors, I kind of also studied them a little bit. And yeah, the, the bows of the clown haircut was what I thought with that one guy. But I've noticed it's like they're all kind of out for themselves. They're supposed to be like an alliance and a group, and we're here to represent our country or or planet or whatever but they were all out for themselves and they all had their own agenda that's something i picked up on right away like they just did not give a care it was about them they didn't care what was happening and yeah even though they were quote unquote friends with the commander like they hung his ass out to dry if they had to because it's all about that well but even but even if you look Uh, at it from um but even if you look at it from jeffafa um the commander um even Jeff-a-fa? with the Centauri, Jeffafa. Yes. No, I call him Jeffafa. Um, but like the Centauri, like they they bragged about ruling the entire quadrant or whatever. So like, what happened that that they completely got broken? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. You know, those are the questions I'm looking forward to having answered later on in the show. Well, I think that's one of the things that. Um... It makes B5 so special. Again, going back to JMS's original two-story idea, the rise and fall of empires. I I, I think that's going to be a major part of what you're going to be watching here. So it's good to see that you guys are already kind of noticing that. That's that's really cool. Uh, we're going to go now to the more seasoned individuals. And for you guys, um, I want to get your feedback, but also real quick, I'd love to hear 
uh, how you first came to find B5, because um, I like to know where you guys are coming from in terms of that. So we'll go to Blake first. So for how I came to B5 was actually a way, and I'm sure some of you have actually wondered after watching this pilot of how the hell did this actually make it to a series? I'm sure at least one or two of you have wondered this, but one of the pieces of this show and sort of how I found it was this show also revolutionized the use of internet, the internet when it was being developed and coming out. JMS actually maintained a Usenet group that he had interacted with fans and actually was promoting this to the fans in that group to watch this and support it as it came out. So when this pilot hit, it already had support to push it to series because of the work that was being done uh, through that Usenet group and through his use of the internet early on. So that's also how I came into the show. And when you hear about what Just was talking about, and they didn't have a lot of background on really the Earth Alliance, but the one thing you could see in this show is that, you know, for those of us especially that are Star Trek fans and had been fans of that for a while, Gene Roddenberry had this pretty strict rule that humanity could not be flawed. Humanity had reached this state of perfection and didn't have conflicts with each other, didn't have these vices. And really until probably season four of Deep Space Nine, when you got into Homefront and Paradise Lost, did you start to see that change in the Star Trek universe? But at this time, that was still very much humanity was perfect. But with Babylon 5, you see a very different take on humanity. You know, people are flawed. They have their issues. They have their own demons. They're not perfect. And they're existing in this galaxy of individuals who also have their own demons and flaws and aren't perfect. And, you know, it's not just, oh, alien influence made this human do a bad thing. It's humans can do bad things and there are issues there. Um, so for me, that's another very different take on the show. Um, I'll have some more to say when we hit the first proper episode, because there's going to be some some changes that we'll address more in there that uh, we'll give some background on. But I think that's my take on it for the moment. Awesome. And I'm glad you brought up the Usenet. And uh, I put this in the chat just now. Newbies, no Googling, because the Usenet's still out there. Uh, and people have compiled everything. And he wasn't just using Usenet. He was using Usenet, CompuServe, <laughs> America Online for a time. Uh, and he had he had a whole bunch of stuff. And me being the glutton for punishment, I will be reading all of it as we go through as well, too, plucking some stuff out as we go. But um, it's really interesting because we still, I mean, even to this day, people don't do this. But he was actually like spoiling the show before it came out. He's like, in the Usenet, he'll say, uh, you didn't like how this character didn't talk a lot. They're going to talk a lot in this episode. And this is going to happen in that episode. And he was, he had a little fan base of about 2,000, 3,000 people that he was just revving up for years. And it's, it's, it's amazing to have at our fingertips now because historically, there's so much in there to pick through, but none of you can read it. Stay away. <laughs> Mike, you're up. Yeah. Um, how I came to the show, uh, simply put i think i was in the right place at the right time and the right age that i was an avid consumer of anything sci-fi and so it looked really cool <laughs> that's how i came to watch it um now as far as the show goes my my impression i mean i think overall it holds up really well i've most definitely seen worse pilots than than this <laughs> like like um i definitely struggled initially like all of you did with the certain aspects of the production value um personally the cgi doesn't bother me necessarily so much because i'm also a big fan of other older shows that are cgi heavy that look awful um farscape 
<laughs> yeah. That wasn't the one I was thinking of, actually, but yes. Um, I was thinking of uh, Starship Troopers Roughnecks. It's uh, ah. an, an underrated series that a lot of people haven't seen or even heard of. Um, Deep cut. Yeah, thank you. Um, but anyway, uh, so I can kind of forgive that, but the like the costume designs and stuff, all super chintzy looking. Uh, they obviously, in the Babylon 5 universe, didn't live through the GE interior lighting revolution. Um, <laughs> everything blinks. <laughs> Everything has unnecessary lights on the floor that tell you where to stand. Uh, just lots of that kind of stuff. We're really, we're really bothersome for the first 10 minutes or so until I kind of plugged myself into the story. Um, it was but, the 90s uh, version of the J.J. Abrams lens flare. Yes. Yes. Truth. Uh, <laughs> but um, overall, I mean, uh, I will say, I think well, like a lot of you guys, like, I clicked right away with certain aspects, even from the opening monologue, which interestingly is get delivered by londo who mm-hmm. you meet throughout the episode but i feel like he's not featured super heavily at this point um but um you know he all those characters those ambassador characters have a very interesting um story each and every one of them although delen you don't really meet a whole lot just yet you don't quite know what her deal is you're not really meant to know what the mimbari's deal is at this point um but Jakar and Lando are easily two of my favorite characters. I'll just put it right out there from the onset. I want to know more about what's going on with both of them. Um, they plant seeds very deep in the opening monologue about, you know, this is the fifth Babylon station. It's our bat- last best hope for peace. It raises tons of questions that they don't answer. Um, very intriguing. I mean, I think, like I said, I've, I've seen pilot episodes that were way way worse than this and what this show definitely seems to have going for it is writing and and uh, a uh, a direction that you know, a lot of contemporary shows if you've watched be vet about how horrible star trek discovery is uh they can't carry a story for 12 episodes let alone five seasons so there you go yeah, that's and I'm glad you brought up the lighting and all of that too. Um, this is something else that I haven't talked about yet, but um, as I mentioned, J. Michael Straczynski was a writer. Okay, he was uh, mainly animation, uh, did some live TV with Captain Power, and also he was a writer on Murder She Wrote, uh, which actually the murder mystery stuff you'll see a lot in Babylon Five for that reason. But um, when they decided to make this thing a pilot, they went out and he tried to find a director he felt could direct tv because he had no idea what he was doing he would be the first to say that he he does in his autobiography he had no idea what he was doing so he got a guy named richard compton who had uh done a lot of the equalizer which happened to be jms's one of his favorite shows he's like well this guy's done the equalizers and he i like that show so we'll just have him come on the problem was they did not get along and they had different visions so jms wanted to have a grand scoping vision a space opera where you could see everything and you lighting the faces because it's important to see a character's eyes because everything's in the eyes especially when they have a lot of makeup well richard compton said i like to have all the lights for western and straight down so everyone looks like they have cavity eyes and i'm going to put a lot of smoke in there and i'm going to make it very hard to see and i I like these muppet characters these aliens so we're going to put the muppets in there and they're going to be walking around i'm going to spend more time on those guys than everything else so um and that's actually 
one of the things too that we haven't pointed out yet is there's two versions of this, the gathering. The first one is the director's cut, which we had from 93 up until 98. And then what most of us have seen, and if you're watching this on HBO Max, you've seen the TNT producer's cut, which JMS recut in 1998. So um, it is definitely, uh, they lit up the, the show more. So they actually brightened the show, which uh, you, uh, if you watch the original, there's a lot more darkness. Uh, and also um, they tried to align it more with the season series proper. So I think a lot of that annoyance that you uh, may have and that I have when it comes to lighting and stuff, we're going to see go to the wayside here once we get to the first main show episode. But it's good to point out that that's um, a big issue with this uh, pilot as well, too. So for me, I don't know when I first saw this show because it was absolutely on syndication. Uh, so it's one of those where I caught it when I caught it. I will say the other PTN, PTEN shows that started off the network were Time Tracks and Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, both shows that I watched. So I'm pretty sure I probably saw Babylon 5 from the start because if I was watching those two shows, I must have been watching PTEN. I just can't remember because it was I was 10 years old at the time. But I really got into this show when it relaunched on TNT, which we'll talk about when we get to season five. But so I think probably the first time I remember seeing The Gathering was this special edition cut uh, that came out in 1998. But for me, I'm actually, I was pleasantly surprised. I haven't watched The Gathering in a long time. Usually when I binge the show, I start with uh, a spattering of season one episodes, and then I just jump into season two, because for me, that's where the show really hits on all cylinders. So I haven't really watched The Gathering much. And so I warned every one of you that it's a terrible pilot and just go with me on this. I told everybody that. But after watching it's it- It's not um, as bad. Honestly, it's not exactly. as bad as as you said it was. I, I not as bad my as you said bias. it was. And very much so. And I, I watching it this time, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I will say I watched both versions and the original 93 version is, oh God, much worse. So make sure you watch the TNT version, which is on HBO Max. But no, I was I was really intrigued. I, I, I loved getting to know the characters again for the first time and seeing where they start. And again, this is a novel. So unlike, and I love Star Trek, but unlike Star Trek, especially TNG, Voyager and the like, the characters are not going to be the same characters when you come to see them at the end of the run. Um, so the, the growth is really fun to see the beginning of where they're at as opposed to where they're going to be. Um, and I enjoyed the story. I think the, uh, the, the mystery of the shapeshifter was uh, something that uh, was well thought out as much as it could be. I think it's kind of hard to do that mystery when you're also learning the characters. So you don't actually know who these people are, but then they're, you know, there's another guy pretending to be them already. So maybe that was a decision that could have been a show later on down the road, but I did enjoy the kind of the mystery of it all. So I think um, what we're going to do when we start getting into the episodes proper and they're not two hours long, we'll go kind of beat by beat story by story, but I really want to just kind of hit the highlights of the gathering. So let's talk about characters that we liked and anyone just chime in. What are some characters that really stood out to you and why they stand out? So I'll jump in with one and I'm not going to go too far into this probably till next week. Be good. Uh, <laughs> be good. <laughs> I'm going to be, but never. Thanks, Justin. But if you notice the character of Delenn in this one and just knowing some of the where that character was originally headed versus where things kind of went different from the pilot 
uh, to the first episode starting in season one. I'll get into that more, but there was definitely some changes along the way, which one thing just to keep in mind as we watch this, uh, JMS had exit plans. He had contingencies written kind of throughout to change some of this up and modify the story as it went. And that was one of the changes that will come about. But I've always really liked uh, the character of Dylan throughout the series, even starting here um, as we move through the series with that character. And I'm not going to reference much more than that now. Um, but also, I think Londo held pretty constant um, throughout. He had a big arc, but I mean, Londo is pretty much held throughout. And then also Sinclair. Uh, Jeffrey Sinclair is a very interesting character, especially um, knowing the behind the scenes pieces um, with what yeah. he was going through um, in his own life as he was filming this series. And we'll touch on that throughout the first season, I think, um, yeah. with some commentary. I, and I, Blake, I'm glad you mentioned Michael O'Hare. Um, I, I, I don't want to get into too much detail on his situation, but I will say, and we, we will, absolutely we will. Um, he dealt with some severe um, uh, mental disabilities to a point where during the filming of season one, he was seeing people who weren't there. He was hearing voices uh, and he was very much on the downward slide mentally. And so when you watch this man who some of his stuff is a little wooden, especially in the pilot, he gets better, but just the fact that we now know he's now passed away. So that's why we know this because his story was released posthumously. He was going through a lot right at this time. And so it's amazing to see what he can do with that character, realizing that he's, he's definitely going through a lot mentally uh, as a person while he's doing this. And we'll talk more about that as we get deeper into the show for sure. Two, two characters I really like, the doctor. I really liked him. And then um, I'm going to, I was trying to type her name into my notes, but Nagarashi, the person who actually controlled the station. This, I actually from- really connected with her character early on. Like, I really like her. And then be, her and the doctor, I think, are my two favorite characters coming out of this pilot. Nice. That's 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 interesting. That's good to know. I think you're completely right. The one thing, uh, again, just behind the scenes, and you don't see this because you've seen the special edition, the actress, um, one of the notes that came out of the pilot uh, when before it aired was that she was too overpowering, too firm. So they actually had her redub. Yeah. So they actually had to redub her lines. And you didn't see this because that's in the original cut. In the special edition, they put her original performance in there so what you're seeing is what she did but if you ever go back and watch the original version of this she redubbed all her lines to be more uh subtle and just more less so 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 they had a problem with having a strong asian woman character shocker i know ah that irritates the beep beep out of me okay i'm sorry that's your one (laughs) you're fine we're good we're good Honestly, that that really irritates me because she was such a phenomenal like I focused on her so much every time she was on camera. I focused on her. I completely agree. And she's a wonderful actress. Um, I she you you may remember her from Karate Kid Part Two or if you're a Star Trek Picard fan, she's Commodore. O. So yeah. she's still around. But yeah, she's a wonderful actor. And um, we'll have more to say about her for sure. Okay. And there's, there's actually some stuff. There's actually some stuff that happens in this episode that you may not have mentioned, noticed, but Blake and Mike and I are going to talk about when we get to the other side of this episode. Just oh, 
You give me a lot of credit. Up. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it too. Yeah, I agree. But no, I liked I, I liked her a lot, and like her and the both her and the doctor were two favorite characters coming out of that episode. Yeah, I, I agree very much. So I, I do love the doctor character as well too. He's kind of the much like uh, it's kind of a Star Trek trope too, and that is the right. sage older doctor, especially from TOS. You know, you have the Bones character, and I, I love I love his reaction when he sees Kosh the Vorlon. He's like, mm-hmm. um, "My life will never be the same," mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's really interesting that we don't know what kosh looks like uh we know he has a glowy hand maybe but it's well, that then, no it, idea. is that is that a light is that a light being like is it a light focused character like oh i can't wait i can't wait I, that I sounds like that another down. question that we will yeah. answer for you yeah years from now so enjoy it's <laughs> <laughs> funny that you said that about that scott you're I killing me smalls down. Nicole, what do you got? I'm sorry. Go for it. That's okay. Uh, I was going to say, I wrote that down about the whole, um, I'll never feel be the same again. I like wrote that down in my notes. I was like, hmm, okay. But I got to say, I also agree. Is it Takashima? Was that her name? Yeah. Is that's that it. Takashima. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. She Thank you. was my favorite. She was sassy and she did not yeah. care who she offended. I loved her. Um, I also enjoyed the doctor. I really liked him. I love Sinclair, obviously the main guy. Um, and I would say I I hated Jakar. I'm sorry, Blake, but I did not like him. Um, I wanted to punch him in his stupid face. Um, <laughs> stupid not, I was not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like I would say yeah, my favorite was Takashima. Uh, I did like the doctor and then Sinclair, obviously. And knowing what he was going through, like that makes me like him even more. And I'm going to pay even more attention to his character now. Um, and even though he had a terrible haircut, I kind of liked Lando, too. Like. It was pretty entertaining. So yeah. um, the Napoleon, the Napoleon, yeah. the clown. I love. <laughs> Who else? Uh, any uh, Emily, Andrew, Jesse? You guys haven't chimed in yet. Any uh, other characters that step out for you? I like Daylin. There was Daylin? I don't yeah. know. There was like a mystery there. I, yes. I was, and there's something about her. She is reminding me of at least probably three different characters in different Star Trek series. So my brain kept like, where do I place her? Because it felt like there was components of other characters in the those different series, but even the actress like underneath, something felt very very familiar about her, and I can't. I will, yeah, completely agree. I will say Mira Furlong is for me personally one of the best actors on this show, um, uh, and her story. And she actually we lost her just a few years ago. She passed away. Um, that's the one thing with Star Trek, you know. Uh, most of the actors like TNG, the entire cast is coming back next season for Picard. So we haven't lost any of them for Babylon five. Most of these, well, not most, but many of these actors have passed away. Unfortunately, there's kind of a, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, So, but Mira Furlong is an amazing actor. And um, uh, she actually came from the Czech Republic um, and actually fled uh, during, um, uh, during the uh, uprisings and, the Velvet Revolution. Everything, everything. So she fled to America and uh, was already a great actor over in uh, Eastern Europe and then became an actor here. So she's she's one to watch. That's definitely true. Yeah. You might remember her from Lost. Yes. Um, that was the, the, the only other place that I personally ever remembered seeing her appear uh, after Babylon 5. But when I saw her Try on it. screen in Lost, I immediately was like, holy crap. It's Dylan. <laughs> and she doesn't have a bonehead. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
I haven't seen Lost, so it definitely wasn't. Well, don't don't bother. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it goes downhill very fast. Um, Andrew, Jesse, anything else? Characters that stand out for you? I liked Londo a lot. Um, As somebody who worked in a casino for years and years and years, (laughs) he he instantly just reminded me of somebody that I knew, you know. And that's awesome. um, And he, I have some Dylan and Londo. I like, you know, there's a lot of like characteristics about these people that that stuck with me but i have some issues with the loyalty that they you know didn't didn't show they i don't know maybe they were we talked about it earlier they should be sticking up for their own countries i feel like that's what an ambassador does um but that was one of the main things that stuck out with me during the whole thing um and then to hear takashima was diluted kind of mm-hmm. presses some of my buttons cuz as somebody who just generally offends people. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that, you know, I've been called all of those names my whole life. And I loved her character. I, she, she stuck with me. My favorite line from the whole show was tell him to get stuffed. Yeah. Like, you know, yes. she's yelling yes. it and I'm like, yes. Like, and to hear, to hear you say that she was just eluded from where she originally should have been. That's kind of disappointing because she, she needs to be that person. She's that role. She's a Lieutenant commander. So she stuck with me a lot. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but if you do want to go back and watch the 93 gathering, I think it's on YouTube and watch the difference between the two performances because they, they redubbed all her lines. It was a studio note. Like you need to, you need to make her less challenging, which honestly, 30 years later, she wasn't even that right overbearing. She was very, and I think it was great for the character. I also love that. She's the one who talks about breaking the rules, both positive and negatively. Mm -hmm. Like she says that she was on a different assignment and she never got promoted because she refused to chip in and break those rules. And then along with that, um, she's the one growing coffee when you're not supposed to. So she's definitely. Honestly, Yeah. I loved her. I loved her. Like she was so, such a relatable character like like a character we need in today's society that honestly i feel like she's gonna get bumped out later on but that's just me we're gonna have an interesting conversation next week that's all i'm gonna say it's all i'm gonna say Uh, enjoy midnight on the firing line ladies and gentlemen Uh, if she's not on the show i'm out (laughs) you can send your applications too But honestly, I really liked the security guy. And then all I of a sudden, too, like, I was I was on IMDb. I, I, I did make a mistake. I went on IMDb and was looking at some stuff. And I'm like, oh, one of the guys from Greece is actually the head out. of security. But it's not the guy who's currently head of security. So what happens there? Like, that kind of freaked me out yeah. a little bit. Was that not one Garibaldi. of the first rules of the yeah. whole show yes. is don't do that? Yeah. I, I, for those listening at home, I, I told up. these I, guys. I, when I messed up. I apologize. When they all applied, I said, don't Google anything. That's the job. <laughs> Ironically, I know that those who have watched the show before, there's a reason why I call this podcast Gray 17. And I know Jesse like was confused by that. So I know you <laughs> Google Gray 17. I thought 17. it was some kind of new social media something that I had to meet you on. If, <laughs> if I need to contact you, I need to at least know how to get to Gray 17. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will all get there together in about a year. <laughs> I love it. I did like um, Garibaldi too. I liked him a lot. Yes. I thought he was sassy yeah. as well. Garibaldi was a great character. I liked him a lot. 
Jerry yeah. Doyle is an, another one we've we've lost, unfortunately. And Jerry Doyle, his his story as an actor and as a character in this is something we're going to talk about a lot as we go through. So I, I'm glad that you guys uh, point out Garibaldi, too, because I don't think he gets too much to do yet. But he's definitely he's I mean, let's face it. He looks he's died. just Bruce Willis. It, it, that's exactly and actually he, he was a he discount bruce willis thank you and then um uh he actually did some uh guest appearances on mood lightning which um i didn't know no until I, and i was like you actually got the guy who looked like bruce willis to work alongside bruce, <laughs> yeah, willis? bruce willis didn't look like bruce willis back then he had hair but he, he looked like true. jerry doyle though wow. yeah bruce willis of the 80s and 90s looked like jerry doyle <laughs> I love that. I'm calling it now Team Garibaldi. I'm just going to call yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's really funny that like we went through like four people listing favorite characters and nobody mentioned Garibaldi until somebody did and then everybody was like, "Oh yeah." Oh no, I love was Gar- great. Yeah. Everybody loves I, Garibaldi. Like yeah. that's kind of telling. I wrote <laughs> down, I as I say I wrote down a list of all my characters and I put big stars next to my favorite ones and it was Garibaldi, Sinclair, Takashi- Takashima, and the and the doctor those are my big starred characters so nice, and then nice. i put a red line through jakar's name you can still like <laughs> uh, um honestly well, though i want to like him like no he's the no he's the orange gem Kadar, <laughs> but honestly somehow i think he has a harder goal maybe he's he's definitely set up as the antagonist <laughs> right now and it's, it's maybe uh, th- there has to be that bad guy in the room and that that's definitely Jakar. That's for sure. Um, I I did want to point one thing out though. Mm-hmm. I was really confused about Lita Alexander. Yeah, we didn't even mention Lita. Yeah, yeah. I felt like at first I was like, mm, I don't know about her, and then I'm like, oh, she's shady. But then she wasn't her. So then I was like, well, mate, is she shady? Is she not shady? I'm so confused. But then the whole discourse about you know what they did. I don't want to give anything away. Um, she was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this or whatever. And then she did. I was like, well, maybe she isn't shady. But then I saw what happened later. I'm like, oh, she is shady. But then I'm like, wait, is she? So I don't know how I feel about her. Like, I feel like I want to hate her because I feel like maybe she is shady, but maybe she's not. Maybe I'm completely wrong. So I'm like on the fence about her. And she never answered Jakar's proposition. We never got the answer. Does yes, she want to be sedated creepy. or not? Did they we still that, don't know yeah. what her pleasure threshold that is? That was so creepy. Oh my gosh. That gross. <laughs> that me was out. like I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh damn, is this is this happening? Like, like that was like really really <laughs> creepy. That Absolutely. was the sexual right. innuendo that I was like, mm, no, bro, no, bro. That's that's too and much. Like, that well, you know, we could do it the old-fashioned way, or we can do it the <laughs> You know, seating way. It's like, you're you're oh, not gonna get paid as much as we but do. But it's gonna cost a lot of money, so let's just do it the old-fashioned way. It was like prostitution, basically. Hey, yeah, I'm gonna it's... pay you to do you, and you can have my baby. Like, no, that's too much. Also, <laughs> at the very beginning, when the guy was like, "If you, they eat their partner when they're done." I right. was like, what am I getting into with this show? Like, I wrote all this down. Like, I wrote WTF question mark, question mark with the cheesy sexual innuendo. I'm like, this is what is this a porno? Like, what is happening right now? I think that's one of the things with this show that we'll see as we go through it. I mean, as cheesy as some of those pieces are, this show actually takes on a lot of different issues. You know, Star Trek would do a lot yeah. of things in metaphor and in, you know, different ways to not really address it. Whereas this show hits a lot of this stuff pretty head on. 
and doesn't shy away or try to hide it or mask it behind something else. So yeah, it, you'll see a lot of cheesy pieces, but it's really taking on issues of what the galaxy may be like yeah. outside of this perfect utopia mentality. It's like fitting for the what's going on in the world, basically. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I took from it immediately was the 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 line about no interspecies mixing or whatever they said. And I'm like, there's a list you can get hmm. the, if you check the right. list before but you then, make. Thirty right. years later. Yeah, loving wasn't that like, long ago, and you and you're hearing these things that are like, hmm, we're still yeah. dealing with this. So, and it Emily, you are insane. Yeah. Emily, you are chomping at the bit over there. I can see. <laughs> well, okay. So the first t- first go around watching it, I thought the proposition scene was creepy. I'm like, wow, that's special. And then the second time I was like, you know, for the 90s, because this was in the mid 90s, that was actually a reasonable conversation around consent when he was asking, you know, conscious or unconscious, I don't know how you do your mating. So it seems weird, but there was like a bizarre acknowledgement of consent and un- trying to g- understand boundaries within a really, <laughs> really cheesy proposition that's really quite questionable, you know? With, so without for the spoiling, 90s, that was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> without spoiling anything, I will say this is not the last time we have to deal with interspecies mating and the funniness that may come of it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Nicole, you have your hand raised like a good child again. <laughs> was it, I would think almost like kind of to go off what Emily was saying, like it was almost taboo, I would think a little bit, you know, like, because what we would think, like, first of all, like the social cues a little bit were different in the 90s than they are now a little bit. Um, but also like in the 90s, like a TV show openly talking about sex probably might have maybe been a little bit taboo. Um, but now what's on TV is like, what is this cable? But like, Back then, I feel like people might be like, oh, clutching their pearls a little bit with that, you know, like, but some of the stuff that I think that they're going to say, which guessing along these lines coming up might not necessarily be appropriate for today, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I can kind of see where those those I, I like the the fact about like it could have been their version of like a consent conversation, which should be done. But like also, I kind of wonder, like, if it is almost like wouldn't be appropriate in today's standards. But back then, people were a little bit more lenient about letting the sexual jokes fly and the innuendo fly and the misogyny fly and things like that. So it was like, I feel like it was either going to be a taboo thing or all boys will be boys kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like it could go both ways depending on the audience. Uh, That's Mm kind of something I thought about too. And and what you'd said, Emily, kind of triggered that thought. So I just wanted to kind of add that. Well, and and what Blake alluded to already too is this ain't Star Trek. So uh, sex and all that will come up a lot in B5. It absolutely will. But it will be 90s syndicated television discussions of sex. So there's there's a fine line and we're going to hit that line. A lot, but we're not going to go into like, you know, HBO territory or anything like that. Mike, you have your hand raised now. Go ahead, Jess. Uh, Just to add to that. I mean, uh, it was kind of two, two observations. And one of which is that Babylon five as a, as a a show, you can tell already has a very stylistic choice where it's going for more of the uh, lived in sci-fi universe where things aren't clean and pristine and hygienic and well lit, like the inside of a dentist's office. It's like, it's a little bit, I don't want to say Star Warsy, but it's a little bit Star Warsy in that it has that kind of used feeling, and that there is always going to be an, an underbelly 
uh, element. You kind of they kind of hinted at it a little bit in some of their quick cut shots as they're you know in the beginning when they introduced you to the station and you saw different people sitting at different tables and working different little booths and doing whatever it is they're doing you know they come to babylon 5 because they don't have other places to go maybe because they're refugees maybe because they're shady as f um you know there's and and they talk about i mean and throughout the story certain characters and the things that they're up to um the other aspect of that uh, i thought it was actually an interesting observation about it being a consent conversation but more than that it fits right into the story that you'll get into with jakar uh it was a business transaction he was having a business transaction that was nothing more than that it got a little cringy but he spelled it out he's like i I want to do this so we can give our we can close a tactical advantage disadvantage that my race Mm -hmm. of people have right now um kind of interesting yeah, and that's that's a point that is a plot point that we get told right away is um, obviously humans have telepaths and Narns do not, and we don't know why. But um, the Narns who seem to be well, we also learned that they used to be the slaves of the Centauri, so they are a new empire who They're finally just yeah, and they they are ready for a fight. Obviously, we see that with what Jakar does throughout the episode. And so you're right. He is building up his war, his war weapons, which includes he needs telepaths. That's absolutely true. Anybody else have anything for characters that they really liked? Um, I was just going to add as well that for me, the uh, if we talk about characters who I thought were kind of my favorite, I, I mentioned Londo already being kind of one of my favorites. And, and I just want to, I guess, throw it out there that. I felt like most of the characters, really all of the characters fit into some kind of fairly standard like archetype, right? There's the noble soldier that follows the rules. There's the uh, Jakar, the obvious, the obvious scumbag in the room who you absolutely do not turn your back on ever. Um, I feel like Londo also fits into a certain archetype, but I feel like it's one that we don't see very often. And that's the, the guy kind of living in his yesteryears, um reliving old glory um and and to me that was very interesting we are a Um, tourist attraction yes Uh, his whole monologue was fantastic Mm -hmm. um the other character that i am most interested in learning more about is uh the monkey man bartender i really want to (laughs) know uh why is he wearing spectacles what damaged his eyes wasn't it like a flight helmet Uh, yes is is he cold he's covered in fur and he's inside of a space station uh what is his deal i'm I'm gonna well and i have i have one question of you know beyond that is when they're traveling the transports what roller coaster did those harnesses come from yeah, like, I saw that, that too. From, that looks that so uncomfortable. That is, that is, is that the Iron like, Wolf at Six Flags Great America. Yes, right. Yes. That's what I was wondering. Like, where did those harnesses come from? It reminded me of the Batman where your feet are dangling and you have the harness on. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, such a, it's such an important scene, too, because it's telling us a lot about Garibaldi and Sinclair. Sinclair's like, I didn't do this. And Garibaldi's like, I don't know if you did or not. And when I find out. You better hope you didn't do it. But they're like in this like contraption that's ruining the actor's ability to have this. And they're, and they're, and they're just sitting there. I'm like, and that's the only thing I could honestly focus on was <laughs> where do those harnesses come from? Like also, what ride? There was random people in there. Like you don't want them to overhear that conversation. That's what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> like, and the poor and the poor little muppet guy sitting in the background. 
Honestly, did you guys see that? Yes, that the driver. Like the little puppy guy just the sitting in the background with this that whole was thing was going on. That my husband had had enough. He's like, I'm done. <laughs> we're, we're not doing this. So I watched the rest Andrew, of it by myself. <laughs> Andrew, so that's what we, your husband checked out. Good to know. We're going to yep. keep a tally of when people that check out. That was the limit. <laughs> that was the limit. <laughs> Andrew, you had your hand up. Uh, yeah, so going back to uh, favorite characters. Um <laughs> Uh, not to sound like a broken record, but uh, the doctor. Yeah, really like the doctor. Uh, kind of going back to what you said about uh, how he was kind of a uh, like a uh, the sage doctor type. Uh, my favorite character from the original series of Star Trek is McCoy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know why, but uh, so I, I do think that's a big reason. Uh, I I do also uh, admit I, I kind of liked uh, Jakar. <laughs> you I, I like. just think, but, but like in a a love to hate him kind of way mm-hmm. and you know we keep saying the doctor we probably should say who he is benjamin kyle is the character's name dr kyle okay Nicole, i Nicole, didn't want to we all said is great ben is great <laughs> yeah, yeah dr ben um my only other thing uh that i was curious about is are we going to learn more about carolyn or does she just float in and out like What's the deal with her? Like Sinclair's Lady of the Nights or whatever. Say, is that the girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like she's, is she like a drifter or is she like, what's her, I, I couldn't really tell. Like, I know she goes on ships and leaves and comes back. And I didn't know what her job was that she wasn't like there all the time. Like, or can you not answer that until the next two years? <laughs> Five years later. No, we can answer was, that in one year. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll, we'll answer it for you in about 15 minutes, but you will not hear it. Oh, man. And if you hear it, you've broken the rules and I will fire you. I will not break um, the rules. Okay. Number so two. let's go ahead. And uh, I know this is an extra long episode because we were introducing everybody as well as uh, talking about a two-hour episode instead of a one-hour episode. So let's get our final thoughts. If anyone has anything else they want to do final uh, in terms of the episode. And then also at the end of that, we will ask any outstanding questions, much like Nicole just did, that you have that Mike and I will answer for the people who are sticking around who have seen the show before. Um, and those people who are have seen the show before are already yelling at you into their podcast listening item of choice saying, how do you not know that? Oh my God. But yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that as well too. So final thoughts, folks. I saw Justin with his hand up. Okay, so I have a few things that I want to carry over into the next episode. Um, like I have some notes that I wrote down with um, the quark like guy with the bo- with the bozo hairdo, which is Londo. Londo learn, Yeah, I want to learn more about him. The Skippy guy complained about his supply ship, which I ended up learning was Jakar. <laughs> which, like, if you, but I have to defend that where. When he confronted people and then he just kind of like skipped away, I have to. And then the telepath is the pet. I, I think the telepath is a very important character coming forward mm-hmm. within this season. Yep. Where, like, if you, you know, the telepaths that I have had a, you know, hinkering to with like the, with like Star Trek and stuff like that, this telepath is more in line with capitalism and stuff like that so i i'm interested to see where she goes from there and we also know that earth has a psychor so there is a yes. academy of telepaths we've learned that in this yes. episode as well too nicole i saw your hand up yeah just to 
couple uh, other final points. Um, this is really random, but I really liked the music in the casino in the very beginning when he was going in there to meet the telepath. I was like jamming out. I'm like, I like this. <laughs> so totally random. I know we kind of talked about music uh, earlier, but yeah, I liked it. I thought the music was cool. Um, I really liked the cheesy jokes that Garibaldi told and the one alien guy, Lando, couldn't figure them out. And it, he's like, oh, human humor. I don't get it. And I just I thought that was so funny. Like the aliens did not get his jokes at all. But I'm like cracking up. I'm like, this guy's in his dad jokes. I love it. You know, uh, so I really liked his humor and I liked his um, I liked his interactions with Lando. I thought like those two had a great dynamic. Yeah. And I love that he just doesn't get his jokes. and He thinks he's crazy. So that was really cool. And then uh, I'm a model UN nerd. So the line where he said, uh, the commander said, uh, we're like the UN on earth before it got dissolved or whatever, like comparing Babylon five to like the UN on earth, like how they have the ambassadors and stuff. I was like, Oh, I like wrote that down. That was like one of my favorite lines besides the get stuff line out of the whole show. So um, I thought that was cool. The one thing that what happened on earth, that's (laughs) what I want to know. Yeah. Well, and I will meta wise, many of the people are on this podcast because I know them from model Illinois government. So we all are parliamentary geeks. So when they said that the vote was two to two, it was not. When you abstain, you lower the quorum and therefore the vote was already passed. The two to one to one, the vote was passed. We didn't need the Borlots. Just say it. Just say it. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, your parliamentary procedure is wrong. Like, <laughs> the nerd in me was very angry. <laughs> Who says they're following Robert's rules? Why aren't they could be following right. Lando's rules? Right. <laughs> <They're> probably... <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> Blake, I know you had some stuff. <laughs> so I think one thing is we, you know, in hearing all the comments on the characters and knowing the series the way I do and Scott and Mike, you know, I think, and Scott open this up with two questions um, to each of us of who are you and what do you want? And I think as you watch these characters, they really align into one of two of those questions. You know, some are definitely trying, the question is what do you want? And others are, who are you? And that's going to become a very important theme pretty quickly um, as these characters evolve throughout this show. So I, I think really seeing that start here in this episode, um, in this pilot, and how that's going to play out. Yeah, and there, I, again, some of you won't learn this for many months to years, but there is a reason why I asked those two questions. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Anybody else have any uh, final thoughts on the episode? I want to know what the doctor saw and i want to know when we get to see it well i'm not gonna tell you either one of those gosh so yeah maybe you will maybe you won't i'm not gonna say anything um but it is uh, even um there's actually uh and i'm going to be very vague here but for those listening who have seen the show there's actually an inserted line in the special edition that we'll talk about on the end of this when we get rid of the newbies, but there's an insert line that was inserted in 1998 because there is something that we know when the special edition came out that we did not know in 1993. And you, when you watch this again, years from now, you're going to go, Oh my God, they said that. And I love that kind of stuff about the show is this stuff. When you go back and rewatch again, you're going to be like, Oh, that actually made sense. And that's it. I was talking to, I think I was talking to Justin about this. One thing I love about this show is something that is thrown out in episode one, season one, 
will come back maybe a long time from now, but it will come back. And so it really, it, it, this is a show that rewards your patience and is a show that rewards your paying attention because this is a novel. What is said in chapter one will pay off in chapter 10. Just, just stick with it. And I think that's why usually when I binge watch the show, I tend to skip forward to about season two because I already know the buildup. So that's why I'm also looking forward to watching this with you all, because some of these episodes I haven't seen in a long time. So I'm looking forward to that as well, too. So um, I think we've had a lot of questions thrown out that Mike, Blake, and I will answer for you, and you can listen to this years from now. So I'm looking forward to that. But is there any other questions that came out of this uh, episode that you want answered? And we're not going to answer for you, but we will. Okay. Yes, I have. Emily. Yeah. How do you have an ambassador say, oh, well, I contacted their government and they said I could vote for them and no one verifies this. (laughs) These are the same people who don't understand what abstention votes mean. So just go with it. (laughs) I'm like, really? Trust but verify people. Trust but verify. (laughs) All the big people understand this. And then, then, uh, you know, not only trust but verify, but we already know that they're sending an attack fleet at us, but they're going to give us our proxy vote. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Right. As I'm sure you can imagine, we're also a bunch of fun if we watch The West Wing. Uh, yes. <laughs> See, that's my other favorite show, but that there's already The West Wing Weekly was a yep. podcast I will never be good anywhere near as good with. But with Babylon 5, I feel there's a niche we can fit. So that's what we're here for. Um, the one thing, too, that you mentioned the Vorlons and uh, proxy voting. <laughs> just The other thing I like about this show, uh, without going into too much detail right away, is all these civilizations are at different levels, you know, with Star Trek. And again, I love Star Trek. So don't beat me up folks with Star Trek. Most of the major races are at the same level, the Romulans, the Klingons, the Cardassians, the uh, Starfleet, they're all kind of right here. But with this, you've got the Vorlons who just from what we've seen a little bit of, they're up here, very high up, which we were told the Membari are one of the older races. And we already know based on what they said in this episode, that the Membari were about ready to wipe out, Earth's forces for one reason or another. So we know they're well above the Earth forces. We also know that the Earth folks are basically new on the scene. We've got that from this episode too. So I like the fact that that only is there's different civilizations, but they're at different levels. And uh, I'm looking forward to having those conversations with you all as that plays out too. Nicole, did you raise your hand again? Yeah, I had one final thought kind of based upon what you were just saying. Um, You know how they're at different levels. One of the themes I kind of took away from... Um, the show was, is, and maybe this is not appropriate, but I kind of felt like a theme I took from it was human resiliency. Like the whole conversation at the end about why do you rebuild? Because that's what we do. And I feel like, I don't know if I'm right. I'll find out in two years, (laughs) but I feel like that's a theme we're going to see throughout the show is that that human resiliency is something that is not going to go away, no matter what kind of, you know, people come into play here. Um, I'm just kind of foreshadowed shadowing that that's going to be a big piece of the show but i could be totally wrong but no i I absolutely i completely agree with you and i think that was jms speaking directly to the audience when uh sinclair quoted tennyson to strive to seek to find and not to yield i think that is definitely a coda of the show absolutely Okay, so we're going to go ahead and this is where it's going to get a little confusing since it's the first time but for those listening If you are listening to this and have no idea what Babylon 5 is, and you've only watched this one episode with us, uh, we're going to 
uh, say goodbye to all of our newbies. Everyone's going to reintroduce themselves and say goodbye. And then I'm going to play some credits that's going to tell you how you can subscribe to us and interact with us and all that good stuff. And then for those who have watched the show before, much like your favorite Marvel movie, we're going to have an after credits scene. So stay with us. And once we go beyond the rim and you will be told we're going beyond the rim, that's going to be the spoiler section. So if you don't want to get spoiled uh, after we say goodbye and roll the credits, that's when you should leave us. And for those of you who want to be spoiled or want to have a conversation of spoilers, stay after the credits and we'll keep rolling. At this point, I can say it because I'm only going to spoil something for like five seconds. But some of you mentioned some of your characters, the favorite characters. I am looking forward to the nasty texts I get when you watch yeah. Midnight on the Firing Line. Listen. I'm telling you, I'm quitting. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to be like, you know what? We're done. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, they're gonna... I've seen Pissed Off Jesse. This is going to be great next week. <laughs> Until next week when we talk about the first episode of season one, Midnight on the Firing Line, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Jesse. I'm Molly. Mike. Andrew. I'm Justin. And Nicole. And we will see you on the next podcast, and we're going to have our newbies leave us now. I'm going to roll the credits and then we will go beyond the rim into spoiler territory. See most of you next week. And for some of you, we'll see you in a few seconds. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing theme was by Sakar Bala and is available from Bixabay. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back. Uh, so we have jettisoned the newbies and welcome to Beyond the Rim. And for those of you who completely missed what I said earlier and you're still listening to this and you haven't watched anything other than The Gathering, leave now because we're about ready to spoil everything. For everyone else, stick with us and we're going to go ahead and uh, answer the questions of our newbies. And I'm looking forward to them hating me for it for the next several years while they wait to get answers to some of this stuff. But I think the first big piece I want to hit on with you guys is the character conversations uh, and the fact that really uh, two of their characters that they like the most, Dr. Kyle and uh, Laura Takasaki, uh, Takasaki uh, man, I've always messed up her name. Takashimi. And and the reason why I mess up her name is because she ain't around no more. <laughs> so um, I, I love to talk to you guys about um, your thoughts on those characters for just a moment, because we know this is the last we're going to talk about them. And we know 
in universe, the reason why, and actually JMS said this too, he's very, uh, what, what we know, and I'll talk about this uh, next week on the, the main cast is Laurel left because uh, she got another gig and there was a contract dispute. And also this is the one that's rough because the studio just didn't like her. Uh, Benjamin Kyle, the actor was actually an older actor and he was actually ill in the filming of the pilot and he continued to be ill. So he just could not come back to reprise the role. And then uh, Lita, uh, left but she'll come back as we know but lita left because um of contract disputes as well too and she actually had a pretty viable co- a career as both an actor her, her, herself but also she was a stunt double so she is actually the stunt double for laura dern in jurassic park at the same time this was going on so she had other stuff going on but i'd love to hear from you guys about your thoughts on the fact that two characters that it seems our newbies love the most <laughs> are gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that yeah. was really funny. Um, I actually had completely forgotten about that aspect of it going back to rewatch this. The doctor, I have to agree, I actually really liked him as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one that kind of resonated with me. And maybe it is because I've been watching uh, Strange New Worlds and it reminded me so much of Dr. Mbenga, mm-hmm. um, who was one of my favorite characters on that show and one with one of the most compelling story arcs the lizard brain side of me says oh he had an english accent and that's why i liked him the most i don't know why um but the other actress uh lieutenant uh, takashimi Takashimi, um, yes i actually did not click with at all i um i know who replaces her and that they are largely the same character but she her performance in this felt far more wooden than most of the other actors and actresses and so i just didn't um, I think I'm in the same boat with you too on Takashimi, Takashimi because I know Ivanova and Ivanova is one of my favorite characters, not only in Babylon 5, but in TV. And so I know she's coming. And so I never really latch on to Laurel because I know Susan Ivanova is right around the corner. So I, yeah, I, I hear like you on so that They really too. are almost the same character and it. And it fills that same niche void that, you know, some of the other people clicked with is like strong female character at a time when that necessarily wasn't common. Ivanova um, comes in and is that same character. So, you know. And it's it's actually interesting, too, with Dr. Kyle as well. I mean, we he mentioned Stems, which we know Dr. Franklin, Richard yeah. Biggs, who Richard Biggs is an amazing actor, too. I'm looking forward to him joining the cast. Um, you can see where some of this stuff, like GMS just said, okay, I'm just going to continue on and do this stuff. Blake, what do you got? Well, I think some of the issues, especially around the performance with uh, Laurel Takashimi as a character, is the intended arc that was supposed to be there. Yes. Um, yes. Because originally that character was supposed to be in on the assassination plot. She was the sleep. Uh, she was the sleeper agent. She was, the, sleep, um, she was oh. the sleep, which we'll get to that yes. later when Lita Much Alexander later. comes back. But yes. Laurel was the sleeper originally that was supposed to be there. And there's actually a scene. And I yeah. think they left it in. I don't think it's in there. It it's in there. If you pause there, it, it's there. Going through Del Varner's quarters, you know, it has on the screen that she had cleared the quarters. Yeah, it's actually when they go into the they go into alien sector, Del Varner goes into alien sector. Well, not Del Varner, but the shapeshifter goes into alien sector, and he uses her code to get in. Yeah, and it clearly says Laurel's code, and then she's also the one who always happens to say the Vorlons were informed that uh, Kosh was hurt, and that's there's uh, one suspect, and so forth and so on. So 
she actually fills two pieces in the story that obviously gets filled by other people. One, she is she was supposed to be the person who shoots Garibaldi in the back at the end of season one, mm-hmm. which is given to his second in command, who is a guy who wasn't in the pilot. And then she is also the sleeper. So she doesn't know that she shot Garibaldi in the back of the original story. She is the one who, when uh, they come on board uh, season two and do the, you know, the telepathic um uh, keyword and snaps the sleeper out of it. And we know the sleeper is the incoming telepath who isn't in the show yet. That was going to be Laurel. So Laurel was destined to be somebody who gets wiped out in season two. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know any of that. Well, I'm glad we have you here, Mike. <laughs> so a couple other questions. Oh, the other thing too, on the character wise real quick, I just want to say, and Mike, you mentioned this already that Londo and uh, Chikara are your favorite characters, mine too. And I think it's it, it obvious that Londo, I believe that Babylon 5 is Londo's story from start to finish. And if you watch it as him being the main character of the show, it makes perfect sense. He and delivers so, the opening monologue, which I exactly. thought was a super weird choice. <laughs> And, and at the end of the day, it's it, he's the one who kind of wraps everything up 20 years from now that we'll know with both Sleeping in Light, but also in side material as well, too. Um, and I just love that they start JMS. I don't think he had everything planned out like he says he did, but I, I love the fact that he knew enough to make Jakar the big bad guy and Londo the buffoon two characters who you just assume that's what they are. Londo is just going to be pushed around and he is an old guy who just cares more about money and gambling and getting drunk than anything else. And Jakar, who is just the, the asshole. But at the end of the time, not only are these guys going to be complete opposite of where they started, the path makes sense. And then of course, at the end, we know that Jakar and Londo kill each other, but we also know that they are, I wouldn't say friends, but they are, mutual something at the end and they have a very complex relationship yes and watching them grow throughout this is going to be very interesting so i'm looking forward to watching the newbies kind of see that shift um in londo first and then jakar later on i'm looking forward to that as well it actually really surprised me that the two characters never really have any interaction in the pilot Um, yeah there's there's the alluded to plot point where you know jakar bribes him essentially but um yeah, the fact that they actually, you never see them on screen together uh, in this was kind of surprising to me. Another scene that, you know, the newbies talked a lot about a lot, a lot was the proposition with uh, Jakar and Lita as the telepath. And I think some of that gets in as we'll get into, you know, the Narn are also one of the older races, not not mm-hmm. as old as the Mimbari, but they've got the their history yes. um, with the Book of Jaquan as it goes through. And I think what plays in, into that is kind of an undercurrent of desperation. I mean, I think Jakar is one of the ones that knows what's coming, whether he fully embraces it at this point, I think is arguable. But he he knows that history as a character of why his race does not have telepaths. That was a red herring I threw out to the newbies. The one time I literally lied to them and saying that we have that hierarchy of civilizations and the narns are usually are relatively new we know on that uh, in the last shadow war the narn took the brunt of it the reason why they don't have telepaths anymore is not because they weren't born with telepaths it's that all the telepaths got wiped out by the shadows mm-hmm. and so i love that this is kind of hinted at in the first episode so the other thing that they brought up obviously was the big piece with kosh 
and what what he looks like. And this is actually something that was done different between both of them. I don't like uh, with the gathering from 93 and the gathering from 98 and the gathering from 93. If you watch that, Kosh just has a normal hand. It looks like a human hand because, well, budget, whatever. When they slap the nicotine patches, Justin said on his uh, the wrist. And for the 98 version, they doctored up a little bit to make his hand glowing, both of which makes absolutely no sense because he's in an encounter suit, but whatever. Uh, but I, I also do like the fact that they do play with the idea that no one knows what a Vorlon looks like. And we will find out later on that a Vorlon looks different for everybody. Uh, so what do you guys think about all of that? Um, it's interesting. You said that he would look glowing. Cause when I watched that scene, I distinctly just thought he looked like kind of a, I think blue, you watched like the original version weird grandpa. Yeah. And you watched the original <laughs> version. You need to go to HBO max. <laughs> yes. I, well, I said, I started off. One. It's so interesting to me. Cause I started off watching a different version and then that, yes. like that Avenue closed to me and I switched to a different one. You watched the original. The yeah. rich, the one I started off with was the newer one that had that horrible Sinclair scene <laughs> that you're telling me Jeez. that they purposely added to the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you definitely watched the so yes, in the original, uh, which the synth guitar music all around, he had like a normal hand. It's so uh, weird that I like yeah and part of that I, I and jms from what i know from what i understand and reading through the usenet stuff i don't think he ever claimed that but i'm pretty sure he just didn't know what he wanted kosh to be fully i mean obviously he wanted something unknown but i don't think well, he knew how far he wanted to go with that the whole the whole it looks different to whoever sees them kind of makes sense because mm. you're seeing that through lita's head so maybe she sees him as humanoid um, that's the most true. telling line, be... yeah. I mean, the most telling line is the doctor. I can't remember the exact wording. I meant to write it down and I didn't, but it had something to do with like, uh, it's better this way. It's better if you don't see what he looks like. Yeah. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, and you know, it, with hindsight being 2020, I think it's if you are a religious person, and I don't know if Dr. Kyle is or not because we don't know him well enough, we never will. But if you're a religious person and you look in that suit and you see literally an angel, because that's what humans see when they see Kosh, yeah, that's going to really mess up your faith, I think. Yeah. And that was exactly <laughs> where my head went when he said that. It's like, oh, it's going to show you something faith-shaking. Yeah, that's, uh, that changes your entire outlook on everything. And we know, I mean, we also know, if you've watched the show, that the Vorlons for did that on purpose. For one, the Vorlons create the telepaths to fight the shadows, and the Vorlons uh, have built the other races to be cannon fodder in their war with the shadows. So they have ingrained on our species from caveman days that they are our gods. We just don't realize it. What other questions that they have that we want to frustrate them about an answer here when i think they had a question i can't remember exactly how they phrased it but it was or yes it, it was why did uh humanity surrender with the battle of the Lines? yes the battle and one of the, of the things they added into the special the later edition the 98 version was when sinclair meets kosh it's yes. in Hilza valen it yes. is the reveal of why the membari surrendered with the shared souls between human and membaris because as we know when Michael O'Hare had to exit the series, he did come back season three. 
Babylon squared. Yes. And Babylon squared. And is the, one Oh, I'm sorry. Knows. No, Babylon squared is season one. I'm sorry. War without end one and two. That's yeah. what we're talking about. Yes. Yeah. War without end. And it, he's the one that takes Babylon four back and uses the same process that Delenn would use that we'll see at the end of season one to become Valen, mm-hmm. um, which, which is, okay. I was touch on, you know, with Delenn and I'm surprised that no one mentioned the, because Delenn's appearance in this was, did not align with the voice, which really no. was he, Delenn was intended to be a male character. Yes. And, and actually could not okay, voice I'm it sorry. that way. Yes. Um, so that's when they changed that. Okay. Delenn's going to be female and we'll do the transition to being human verse at the end of season one versus what was originally supposed to be a transition from male to female. And that's actually another interesting thing with the original and going back to the Usenets, because I'm a nerd and I've been reading through them. The original plan for Michael O'Hare Sinclair was not Valen either, because again, he thought Sinclair was going to be on, not only there was a plan for Babylon 5 being five years, but there was already a plan for Babylon Prime, which was an entirely different show where they bring before into the future rather than the past. Mm -hmm. So the original plan and when they wrote The Gathering and shot it, the original plan was Sinclair was a chosen one who was going to merge the two species. So that's why they were going to originally have Delenn be male and move to female because she would be the one who changes herself to mate with Sinclair to make the human Mimbari hybrids. That obviously was thrown out when uh, Michael O'Hare left the show. Hard to picture that's that an entirely plot different show. in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That's an entirely you, different show. Comment on, you know, Babylon 5 and DS9. You've got the commander as a chosen one. Yes. Icon. You've got, yeah, there's so, there's so many crossovers here. And I, we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah. And I, I, I I am one of those who, again, and I think all of you would agree with me on this. I think D Space Nine is an amazing show. I love it. Uh, and actually, I get a little heart uh, heartburn when we start talking about the whole who stole from who. But after reading um, JMS's autobiography, uh, he comes with a lot of material <laughs> that basically says, yeah, they stole it from me. And so you're right. I mean, he actually, it actually, there's a scene in the book. And if you haven't, for those who haven't, uh, I would recommend listening to the audiobook because it's re- it's read by Peter Jurassic. So Londo is reading you the story of JMS. It's amazing. But um, he basically says, Walter, for one, his wife, JMS's wife, was an intern on TNG. Okay. So they all got called into the room together. When Michael Pillar said, here's what's going to happen with TNG spinoff. It's going to be called Deep Space Nine. It's going to be a space station. And according to her, and he quotes her in the autobiography, she immediately stands up in the meeting and says, I have to leave this meeting now because my husband is pitching a a space station show and I cannot be involved in this conversation. She leaves and actually her term with TNG promptly ends after that. And then later, um, Walter Koenig, who is a friend of JMS's before all this, and again, Walter Koenig will be on the show, calls him and says, you're in trouble because Paramount is doing a space station show. He's like, well, yeah, but it's Star Trek. It's different. He's like, no, this show is going to be named after a, a, a space station with a number in it. It's going to have a war hero captain. It's going to have a shapeshifter in the first episode. <laughs> it's going to have a strong female second in command. <laughs> so it means it's like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> wow. And originally in the gathering, real quick, I'll wrap this up. In the, the gathering, the shapeshifter was actually a shapeshifter. They changed it to a changeling net 
in one of the subsequent drafts. So it was even more close <laughs> to Deep Space Nine <laughs> before it all got filmed. And of course, what happened was because, and this is a, there's a whole another thing, a rigmarole about Warner Brothers and Paramount that I'll go into in a later conversation, because the gathering got held up for so long, Emissary released first. So for a long time, it looked like Babylon 5 had copied from DS9, but it sounds like that's not the case. It's a good book. You should check it out. His dad was a Nazi at the end, which we're going to have conversations about that too. I, I love when Justin said, is the, is the Earth Alliance fascist? I'm like, well, <laughs> yes. They got to get there. <laughs> Just wait. They maybe, not, when we, they maybe didn't hint at that particular aspect, but they definitely hinted at the state of the Earth Alliance in yes. Takashima's, uh, but in her exposition about where she came from and what she went through, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, there's lies isn't gr- isn't great. That's what's. <laughs> well, we know that too from the side material with, uh, and this is actually the comic books uh, that came out at the same time as uh, season one, and Garibaldi and Sinclair are on Mars uh, initially and dealing with the same kind of crap and. The reason why Garibaldi even has a job is because Sinclair grabbed him and took him with him to B5, which we hear about here in this it, episode, too. Did allude to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you mentioned the Battle of the Line, uh, Blake, and we kind of talked about uh, Valen, but also just the whole idea of the Battle of the Line. Another thing they added in for the special edition, so Mike, you didn't hear this, <laughs> when uh, Sinclair is talking to his girlfriend and talking about what happened at the line, they actually, in the special edition, insert lines uh and audio from the episode coming up later on that talks about the line and shows the line and so they insert it and the great thing about michael o'hare's acting and again i will praise this guy a lot through the first season because we know what happens to him and we'll talk about more of that as we get closer to the end of season one his acting is so well he does these pauses where you can see he's remembering stuff so they were able to insert that audio like it was supposed to be that way but it was not they did that five years later when they redid the special edition. The line is definitely something that we'll be hearing about more. And obviously the Membari War plays a huge part in all of this and also will play a huge part in John Sheridan when he shows up a year from now, which by the way, I love Sheridan much more than Sinclair. So I'm looking forward to season two. Um, So actually I'll raise a couple of questions then. So are you saying that they actually had scenes of Sinclair in his Star Fury during the war in the special edition? No, no, they actually okay. just took the audio. So it's the audio the from the audio. episode. Okay. okay. And they, they, so you, you, if you watch it, you, he, he pauses as he's remembering mm-hmm. it and he's just doing really good acting. And so what they were able to do is insert little chunks of like, he says, um, you know, I had lost control of my star fury, but I was able to point it at one of the battle cruisers. And then you hear the audio saying, I'm taking you bastards with me. Cause and I know we see through. it later. Yeah. Okay. We do. Yeah, and that's, wow. that's where the audio came from. So they were able it to take that audio from the other episode. It was actually surprising to me when they did that scene in the, the pilot here and it was all just him, you know, do, delivering exposition. So, okay. So a couple of the other questions I was going to raise, uh, the noobs did question, uh, whether we see his girlfriend again. And I genuinely do not remember. I don't know. We don't because he has again. a different girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and then who the actually plays more was, play. Yeah. I am. And maybe I'm making this up. Am I right that they actually mentioned the fact later on down the road that Dr. Co- the Dr. Ben and, uh, the Lieutenant dis- like change. <laughs> They actually do reference the fact that both of those characters yes. were taken and off assignment. And that's what JMS says. And he actually said this uh, before episode one came out, because again, he was talking to the people on Usenet, as Blake mentioned. So he had already said, look, 
here's what's going to change. You've got some new characters coming in. And he actually says, luckily, the two characters I have to write off are two characters who saw Kosh. So yeah, it, makes it makes sense, sense that they get pulled off. So in, in the expanded universe, Kyle gets sent back to Earth to work with uh, President uh, to work on immigration issues with aliens because he's the only person who's seen Avorlon. And Lita, as we know, when she comes back, is taken by the Vorlons to get augmented to become their quote-unquote emissary. The only one that isn't connected with that is Laurel. And the reason why they don't really say much about her is because JMS, as Blake mentioned, had a lot of trap doors built into this thing. He always had hoped that he could bring the Laurel character back. So he just said that she got reassigned because he had always hoped that he could bring her back and do something with her. Of course, the actor was never available and it never happened. But so that's what happened with those three characters. One got sent to the Vorlons, one got sent back to Earth, and one is reassigned for one reason gotcha. or another okay but they did reference it later it wasn't mm-hmm. like they yeah. just switched the characters and expected no one to notice no and it's i i it's what i really appreciate about this show is even when they have to change stuff and of course between season one and season two everything gets thrown out the window for his original plan um and then also between season four and season five things change too and we'll get into that when we get into it but he's smart enough to continue the story he doesn't like say okay we're just going to replace this character and you're just going to have to deal with it i think of like Rhodey from iron man and the iron man 2 it's uh don Cheadle. he's like i'm here just deal with it no he's yeah. he actually is going to recognize that okay we have to change these things but we're gonna we're gonna make it a part of the story i think we'll have more of these conversations going more in depth once we start getting into the lore more which i think really starts uh next episode when uh we start talking about uh the uh the centauri and the narn a lot more too with midnight on the firing line yeah i i really don't i mean i think that's that's the aspect of the story that looking back on the franchise is one of the most compelling aspects like i very distinctly remember what happens with with <laughs> Jakar and Londo and the Narn and the Satori versus what happens necessarily with the Mimbari. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to to going through that again. Nice. Blake, you got anything else? Yeah, I, I think the big thing is just really for the newbies even watching and even for those of us that have seen this so many times. I mean, I've even caught myself going through this on one of umpteen rewatches hitting a point in episode and going, damn, they, they mentioned that here Yes, and catching something new. So even for us, as we're going through it, I mean, there's pieces I catch when I go through. And I think the, for the newbies as they go through really, as they start to click some of those pieces, because there'll be things that start to make a little sense and references that build on each other. Um, I really think though next week is going to be interesting when they see Delenn next week, when they see Jakar next week, because those two really changed in appearance with the costuming and the prosthetic makeup. Um, so I think they're going to be kind of surprised when they see that next week. Um, they did clean up the production value a little bit with the sets and the uniforms. The uh, I called them the downspout rifles that they used in this one. Yeah. Which sound like PVC pipe when they shoot. Yeah. 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 You know, there, there's going to be some things, I think, when they see actual episode one of season one. Um, it'll be interesting to get their t- how they feel about it at that point as they get into the world more with that's uh, I, I will say this because there's going to be one person listening to this goes you didn't mention this change to the special edition the other change they made to the special edition is in the original they talk about turning up the force uh, of the guns because they were energy weapons in the pilot but then the ppgs that we are much more knowledgeable of down the road are not uh, energy weapons they're projectiles so they cut that out of the special edition so they don't talk about increasing the 
the gun force or whatever they called it, like force level five or whatever they said. That gets cut out too. Yeah, I missed what the unit of measure that they were talking about was. Or if well, the, if you watched the, the special the edition, gun. you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> um, no, actually, I don't know. It's probably not even really relevant, but the fact that I mentioned how the style of the show overall is the kind of lived in sci-fi. Yes. Um, but also somebody else brought up the fact that it feels very grounded in real life physics, whereas everything in Star Trek just has magic gravity that just works and everybody orients the same way because they just do. I actually thought that was a kind of an interesting parallel is the fact that that's something that I feel like has been largely lost in a lot of sci-fi up until recently. Um, I don't know if either, either of you guys have watched The Expanse, Oh, yes. Um, but it's it a such series a show. that is an excellent series, and it's gotten a lot of praise for the fact that they have done a lot of, you know, working with NASA and working with physicists just to, to depict a not-too-distant future in a very realistic way that is very, very relevant to the story at a lot mm-hmm. of different times. And besides, you know, I thought that was really cool. And the, the way that the Star Furies look and operate has actually been something like etched into my brain since the first time I yes. ever watched this because it was so visceral in a way like and, and uh, Blake mentioned the Star Furies too but we don't even get them in this episode yeah we, you don't we, at all yeah so they'll definitely be a part of it that's for sure <laughs> I did really like how this alien pod ship just blasts a scrap drone out of the air and everybody's like, what happened? I don't know. Drone died. Send another one out. <laughs> and I, I like that you mentioned the lived in part. And I was going to mention this with the newbies, but I just forgot is we, we get a hint at it, but Babylon five is huge. It's five miles long, has a quarter of a million people in it. And obviously this podcast is named after one of the sectors, uh, but we, we get to see more of the station as we go to, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to when we first hit Brown sector and down below and seeing what the newbies feel about that, because they're already talking about the fact that this is not your clean utopian area of sci-fi. So wait to and wait till we get to the homeless folks and the people who get the, stuck there because they have nowhere else to go. And I'm looking forward to those conversations. The, the scale of the space station is utterly lost on the first episode for sure. Yes, it is because you see these weird establishing shots of the inside of the spinny bits, and it's like it reminds me of Halo. Yeah, where in Halo they do a really good job of making you feel how big that actually is. And I'm just, I was kind of looking at that going like, holy crap, Babylon 5 is like really, really, really big. <laughs> like when, that, when I see the, it's better as the series yes. goes, they, yeah. they re-render yes. that and that gets so much better. Yeah. Well, and they also just completely redo the sets too, which we'll talk about more when we get to mm-hmm. next episode, because they take over a hot tub factory and make it into their stage. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, you mentioned halo when I see the, um, the uh the arboretum or whatever you want to call it mm. i think mass effect when you look inside the citadel uh and that kind of scale and if you haven't played mass effect you need to and i know mike so, i keep trying sim- to get make similar you idea i mean it's the fact that there's a large outdoor landscape that lives inside of this mega structure in yes. space like yes and there's a little potter of coffee just one just and, one but a little potter of coffee and there's nothing about it that it, what they actually do in this episode that makes you feel how big that whole thing is the the biggest idiosyncrasy is the fact that this guy with his camouflage out camouflage outfit goes to self-detonate like the predator and potentially takes out the entire station (laughs) which (laughs) seems really weird to me but and by the way mr morden's the one who saves the station yeah well is that gonna come back to bite him in the 
Oh. <laughs> Oopsie. Yeah. The guy who's working in ops is Mr. Morton, but not because it's right. the same actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait until wait until Mr. Morton comes back. I wonder. I don't think anyone's going to catch it, but I wonder if they catch it. <laughs> I'm actually confused now because when I saw that scene, I thought he looked super familiar. Yeah. And I couldn't place him. So now I'm not sure I remember who Mr. Morton is. But he's I'm the guy who works for the shadows. Yeah, so if you've seen in a few episodes. Yeah, okay. He's the, he's the one who, and going back to my original questions I asked, he's the one who asked everybody, what do you want? And Londo's the only one who answers in a way that he wants to have answered. And so Londo becomes working for the shadows because of that answer. What do yes. you want? Okay. Okay. Kind of rings a bell now. Yeah. Because the whole thing is the, the Vorlons ask, who are you? Mm-hmm. And the shadows is, who do you want? Or what do you what, want? Who do you want? Well, that's the Jakar wants Lita, so it's fine. We answered that too. <laughs> Wait until Nataf shows up. We get some more <laughs> windows with that one too. <laughs> okay, guys, I think we, we, we've done enough damage for one night. We're going to go ahead and end it here. And for those who have stuck around with us, thank you so much. We're looking forward to having this conversation just as much as we're having the, uh, the new conversation with our newbies. And I'm also looking forward to our newbies, Justin, uh, uh, Emily, Jesse, Nicole, Andrew, joining us here and listening to this podcast again and hating me for making you wait so long. <laughs> to listen to this, but uh, thanks for the second viewing. I appreciate it. We will talk to you again, both beyond the rim and also in normal space. When we talk about midnight on the firing line, episode one of season one next week, I have been Scott and with me has been Blake and Mike, and we will see you in the front row and in gray 17. Have a good night, everybody. But what does that have to do with, with nanotechnology? Glad you asked. You've heard of it, haven't you? Machines too small for the human eye to see. You can even shield them, make them invisible to electronic detection. Like the one you just swallowed in that drink. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. It must be Earth humor. <laughs>